The Gospel of John chapter 14 is where we are going to be studying this morning. John 14, we're going to be starting at verse 19. Verse 19 says this, A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Father, we are thankful for this day, thankful for your mercy that it's new today. We thank you that as we gather in your name, we, we know you're here. And we give you all the glory. We ask that you would move among us, Lord, in a mighty way, that you would speak to us, that you might transform us by your word. Lord, we fix our eyes on you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning once again. It is a blessing, as always, to be together, to glorify the Lord together. As we desire to see him do great things in our lives. And that is uh, by the, the power of the word that he has given us. And so that's why we study the word of God. And here in uh, chapter 14 of the Gospel of John today, we're going to, con uh, to finish chapter 14 as you uh, saw in the reading there. But we are continuing this study through the Gospel of John at light speed. And uh, last week... We looked at these things that would verify Jesus to be the Messiah and that would verify the words that he spoke to be true, um, that there are greater works to be done uh, through his disciples, through their lives, their ministry, uh, and that there is the helper, the Holy Spirit coming to help perform those works in and through them, and that there is not only that, but hope in the return of Jesus Christ, that we will see Jesus again. And today, as we pick up in verse 19, 
we look at a message with a focus on really the contrast, the difference between followers of Jesus and the world. We've seen it already in this chapter. We're going to identify it a little bit more in this text today. And really the difference, if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, there is a significant difference between us and the world. And so there in verse 19, a little while longer, as it says, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. A little while longer as he starts, he's referring to once again, of course, his coming death. Jesus has talked about it several times before. His ministry has ultimately been all about the work of salvation and completing the work of salvation and submitting to the will of the Father, which was to be his death on the cross that would bring his resurrection to bring salvation. And so now he's been talking about it, he's talking about it again, a little while longer, and the world will not see me. And why will the world not see him is because the world is spiritually blind. As Jesus referring to this death in this little while longer really could be translated to something more specific to the day, in fact, is coming, and it is right here in front of us. Within a day, the world will see him no more. He's not just saying, oh, in a little while, like sometimes, you know, my kids might ask a question, hey, can I have a snack? Yeah, not yet, right? And that's just a way of saying, like, I, I'm, I'm doing something right now, and I'll get to that eventually, and, and maybe I'm not even paying attention to what you're saying, and so I might not have any intention of giving you a snack and whatever, right? These are the things that we do, oh, hold on, just hold on a minute, hold on a minute, hold on a minute, that's not the perspective of Jesus here. He's not saying to the disciples, yeah, we're, we're, I, my death is coming, my death is coming. He knows the exact day and hour that it's coming. And so he's saying here a little while is very specific in this statement to say in about a day, the time is coming. This is it, guys. And you need to sense an urgency here in the words that I'm expressing to you. That's what we get out of this passage. There is an urgency out of all of these chapters that we've been studying, 13, 14, as we're going to continue into 15, 16, 17, before Jesus goes to the cross, there is a great urgency in the words that he's speaking. So he says, a little while longer, the world will not see me, but you but you will. Speaking to his disciples, speaking to his followers, those who have relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus himself identifies the difference between his followers and the world. Much like he did back in verse 17 that we studied last week as he says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees nor knows him but you. There's the first time we see that contrast in, in chapter 14. But you know him, you see him, the spirit of truth. The world cannot and does not see the spirit because the world does not operate in the spiritual realm. They do not see spiritually. That's the issue here. It's spiritual blindness. It's much like Jesus previously addressing the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, when he told them and he called them out on their spiritual blindness. And so now he's identifying that to his disciples. He's, he's drawing the line. He's showing them the separation that they are set apart. 
As followers of Jesus Christ, as believers in Jesus, you are set apart. You are different than the world. And we're different from the world in many ways. The disciples were different from the world in many ways. But it is specific in this, as he says, but you will see me. It's specific to this idea of spiritual sight. Specifically, they will see Jesus, but the world will not see Jesus. Through relationship with Jesus Christ, you can say the same. I will see Jesus, but the world cannot say that in confidence. I will see him. I will be with him. We can say that in confidence as believers. The world is blind spiritually, but through relationship with Jesus Christ, you can see spiritually. And we will see him again. So what is it that makes us able to see, verse 20? Uh, because I, for, for verse 19, we finished, because, because I live, you will live also. The first thing is life in Christ. What makes us able to see? The resurrection. The resurrection makes us able to see. It's life in Christ that Jesus will, in fact, be raised from the dead, and that we, in fact, will have life in Christ. So that makes us able to see. Then he continues on. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So it's Christ in us, right? I in you, he says, and it's Christ in the Father, and the Father in him, and us in Christ. And then it is the work of the Holy Spirit that we studied last week. These are the things that makes us able to see spiritually. And we've been studying this as well throughout the, the chapter 14 here is the eternal perspective. My father's house, there are many mansions. Seeing things in light of eternity, not living for this world like the world, that we would only see the things of this world, but that we would see Jesus and we would see him at work and we would see in the spiritual sense the things that we need to see. So that's what makes us able to see life in Christ, the resurrection, as he says, because I live, you live. It's Christ in us, it's the Holy Spirit, and it's eternal perspective. But with that comes great responsibility. We talked about that last week. It's love through obedience. With this ability, to, the opportunity to see Jesus comes a great responsibility that we would walk in love through obedience. And as he says here, at that day, that day being the day that we see Jesus, what happens? At that day, first of all, you will know. We will be enlightened. And at that day, when we see Jesus, everything's going to make sense. All of the relationship that we've poured into in our lives in relationship with Jesus Christ, it's all going to make sense. All the theological questions that we might have or the lack of understanding we might have, it's all going to go away. Because we will see him. At that day, we will know. There will be no question. 
we will know that he is in the Father and the Father is in him and that he is in us. It's a statement that doesn't quite make sense, okay? What is he saying? That I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Okay, hold on. Let me try this again. That I am in the, okay, the Father in, oh, and I in you, right? And we kind of go through it. We play through it in our minds trying to figure it out. But when we see him, we will know. What will we know? We will know that the things he has said are true. We will be enlightened and we will see the oneness of the Father and the Son. And that oneness we will see in us as well. We will understand what it's all been about. We will understand that everything he said was true. When we see Jesus... We will, we will experience life. As he continues, we will also then, it says in verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them. So when we see Jesus, we will experience life. We will know his commandments. We will have his commandments. Right? We will understand then the commandments. Then we will obey. We will keep his word. We will love him. We will understand this love. We will know these things. We will understand our love for him, and we will understand the love he has for us. We will be loved by him, and he will be revealed. And I will love him, and it says, manifest myself to him. Through what? Through a love relationship. We will see Jesus through this love relationship. We will experience the revelation of Jesus Christ. He will manifest himself through a love relationship. But of course, as this keeps happening, verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, important to note, Judas Iscariot's gone. Remember, he ran out of the upper room. He's at work with the devil right now. So Judas, not Iscariot, the other Judas, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Now, he's seeing a picture of the difference between them and the world, but he's not understanding. These interruptions keep happening, right? Jesus, if we go back and we see Jesus with his disciples and he's ministering to them, he's teaching them, he's demonstrating love and, and showing them what servanthood looks like and then he's continuing on in this, the upper room discourse here and there's just another question from another disciple, right? You have Peter who basically rebukes Jesus. You have Judas who runs out of there. You have uh, Philip. You have uh, Thomas. You have all these questions, and now you have Judas, not Iscariot, the other Judas saying, okay, um, I'm going to speak up now. It's my turn. I, I've got a question. How will you reveal yourself to us but not to the world? How is that going to happen? How would you be seen by us but not seen by the world? And, and it's this, you know, there, these interruptions that keep happening, it's actually a good thing. You know, you might think, well, hey, guys, quiet down. Jesus is talking. What is happening here is there's a recognition of the urgency, the urgency that Jesus is leaving, and so they keep, they ask these questions just to be clear. 
Jesus, can we have some clarity on this, on this topic right now? Because we want to know, we need to know, because you keep telling us that you're leaving us. And if you're leaving us, we need some help along the way. But Jesus has already told him, guys, I'm, I have a helper for you. And that helper, we'll get into in a little bit, is able to do all that Jesus has done. But they're recognizing this urgency. They're trying to get things right. It's a good thing. But nonetheless, there's the question, how do we understand? Not understanding that the focus here is spiritual and not physical. They're thinking still in the physical realm. How will you be seen by us but not seen by the world? And Jesus, again, is somewhat then goes into repeating himself a little bit and, and giving them this picture. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Trying to give them this eternal perspective. Trying to give them this, this picture of this being a spiritual thing and not a physical thing. Reminding them that it's true through relationship, love, obedience, with the help of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will see and they will know Jesus. But then the, the world cannot. So he's, Jesus is making even more clear now this separation. In a sense, I already told you, but I'm going to tell you again, and I'm going to clarify a little bit more. The world cannot see and know Jesus because they lack these things, love, obedience, and the Holy Spirit. We've seen that, verse 17, the world cannot see the spirit of truth because they don't know truth. Without a relationship with Jesus, you cannot have the spirit. And so Jesus points that out, the one who loves me, the one who obeys, the one who walks in this way, right, who keeps my word, I will come to him. I'll make my home with him, that eternal perspective. He who does not love me, does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but of the Father who sent me. Those who love me will, will keep my word. This is an absolute. So as you walk in love, the fruit of love is keeping his word. The fruit of love is not doing what we want and then calling upon him for help that we sometimes will do, relying on and perhaps abusing the grace of God. But those who love me will keep his word, will keep his word. We talked about that last week. If you love me, keep my commandments, he said. What he's saying there is not, if you love me, you'll do what I say. But if you love me, it will be demonstrated through your obedience. And it's the same thing here. Those who love me will keep my word. The word of God will be evident in the lives of those who love Jesus. If the word of God is not a part of your life, do you love Jesus? And you might say, of course I love Jesus. What kind of question is that? Is that the fruit? Is the word of God a part of your life? Do you keep his word? And by keeping his word, that's following the ways that Jesus led Right? That's what he's identifying to the disciples. You keep my word. Following this way, the way that I have shown you, and I've told you that I am the way, so following Jesus. 
obeying the teachings that Jesus has taught them. But there's hope and there's a promise of eternal life in that. They will inherit eternal life, but those who love him will keep his word and will inherit eternal life. Those who don't love Jesus, it will be identified through them not keeping the word of God, not recognizing the word, and not walking in obedience. And we see that in the world, and we can identify the difference because the word of God is not evident in people's lives. Following the word of God, trusting the word of God, being obedient to the word of God is not evident in people's lives. Jesus clarifying the difference of those who will see spiritually and those who won't. But then he drops in there just to make clear, guys, these were not my words that I'm making up right here and now. These are from the Father. Verifying once again what he says is true and that Jesus is fully submitted to the Father. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. These things, in a sense, he's saying, I told you all of this, and this is actually a statement that is used seven times throughout this entire upper room discourse. These things, these things, these things. He's trying to identify that this is important. Pay attention. Get the urgency, guys. And, and I think they, they're starting to. When they ask questions, they're starting to understand the urgency that Jesus, what Jesus is saying is very important. And he's saying that these things I'm saying while I'm still with you is emphasizing the importance of these things. It is important that you understand eternal life. It is important that you have a spiritual perspective and not an earthly perspective because you as followers of Jesus are nothing like the world. But now back to what he was saying, right? He's addressing the question from uh, from Judas, and, and he, he does that. He kind of repeats himself, but he clarifies at the same time. Now back to what he was talking about, but the helper. The helper, the Holy Spirit. And we first identified the helper in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I'll pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the helper, And what he's saying here, but remember I was just telling you about the helper, the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. What he's saying is, but, listen, the things I've spoken to you, these are the things that are important that I speak to you while I'm present. I want you to remember these things, but you're going to forget, so I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit that's going to help you not forget. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, and I've already told you the things that the Spirit can do, but there's even more. There's so much that the Spirit can do. Let me help you understand. Let me explain to you, is what he's saying, what the Holy Spirit is going to do for you as a helper. First of all, he comes also from the Father. Jesus has said many times over where he has come from, the Father in heaven. 
That's where he's coming from and that's where he's going. And he's saying the Spirit, the Holy Spirit also has come from the Father. Another helper, as we talked about last week, of the same kind for the same purpose. From the same place with the same goal, salvation. The work that the Father sent the Son to do fulfill the work of salvation. The Holy Spirit comes from the Father with the same goal, it's salvation. And, as it says here, in my name. The Holy Spirit comes from the Father, right, with the, the, from the same place, of the same kind, the same purpose, with the same goal, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name is with Jesus' approval with the same power, the same influence, and the same oneness with the Father. The Holy Spirit, then as it goes on to tell us more about what the Holy Spirit does. This is the power that the Holy Spirit comes in and the authority that the Holy Spirit comes with, but also the Spirit comes to teach all things. There is an equipping that is going on. And there's clearly an equipping that is necessary because the Spirit is needed to teach all things. Even the things that Jesus teaches, the Spirit teaches again. The things that Jesus has provided answers to all their questions, and they're like, I have questions, I need help, Jesus. The Holy Spirit provides answers, equipping us to make decisions every single day. And that's what I want to challenge us all with, is walking forward in the conviction of the Holy Spirit that the decisions you make As you pray and seek God for the leading of the Holy Spirit, the decisions that you make are according to the Spirit of God. I continue to get questions from you guys about the COVID vaccine. What should we do? You should pray and trust the Spirit of God that is in you to give you the answer that is right for your life. I'm not getting into opinion about the vaccine or about COVID in general. You have the spirit of God. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, call upon him. He will answer. He's given the Spirit the same authority and influence in our lives that Jesus had in the disciples' life. So why would he not give you the ability to make a decision over how to care for yourself physically? Pray. Seek him. Because the Spirit teaches all things. Meaning he equips us in all things, to make decisions. But wait, there's more. And he brings to remembrance. Because we forget, 
he brings to remembrance. What does he bring to remembrance? It says here, all things that I said to you. What he reminds us of is the word of God. What he reminds us of is the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying to the disciples, look, you're going to forget. You're going to forget the things that I told you because there's a lot. And these things I say to you while I'm here, you're going to forget. And that's just talking about a few chapters of these things that he's trying to last ditch effort of like, hey guys, listen up, listen up, listen up. You're going to forget these things, so I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you remember these things. But remember that, guys. The Holy Spirit is not going to tell you to do something that is contrary to the things that are spoken in the Word of God. We might, sometimes people will make crazy claims of, like, I was led by the Spirit to do this. And it might be something really out there. You're like, but is that in accordance to the Word of God? Because the Spirit brings to remembrance the things that Jesus said. Is his word in us? As we, went, we go back to that point that I said before, keeping his word. Is his word in us? And is there the word that we could keep that the Spirit could bring to remembrance in us? Or is the word not have place in our lives? And then what is the Spirit going to bring to remembrance? Jesus knows they're going to need to be reminded. The Spirit's going to remind them the words that he spoke, and there's this great emphasis once again in the Gospel of John on the words that Jesus speaks and reminding them of how great Jesus is and how great his words are. Remember that. We need to be reminded because we forget. We forget how much the words of Jesus are words of life. We forget how great Jesus is in our lives. The Spirit will bring to remembrance. Pray. But there's even more. So he's giving the helper, the Holy Spirit, to help them remember the things so they don't forget, so that these greater works will happen that he promised would happen earlier in this chapter. Then, verse 27, peace. Peace. The Spirit brings peace from Jesus. The Helper will help them remember. It'll teach them. It will equip them. It will continue to, and does it continue to do that for us? It equips us and it reminds us, but also peace. Peace is, this is a common farewell in the culture. Shalom. You've probably heard that before. It's a common greeting. It's hello, goodbye. It means peace. And it was a commonly spoken statement, like people in, uh, that we might say to one another, maybe you end your text messages or your emails with, God bless, or God be with you, or blessings, or something along those lines, or in the world, good luck, Right? There's one that people throw out all the time. Hey, good luck with that. (laughs) What does that mean? Luck is a lie. But that's what the world is offering to each other. A lie. Good luck. But that's the statement here. Shalom. Peace. 
Jesus then immediately follows it up that this is not your common greeting. This is not your common farewell, shalom. He says, peace I leave with you. Through the Holy Spirit, I leave this peace with you. My peace I give not as the world gives. So it's not the common greeting is what Jesus says. This isn't your regular shalom. That sounds like a good song or something, right? Not your regular shalom. It's not as the world gives. And this is yet another contrast with the world, between Jesus and the world, between followers of Jesus and the world because he gives his peace. Jesus set this greeting apart from any other greeting. He set this farewell apart from any other farewell. Shalom, my peace is different than the peace that you've heard before. My farewell is different than the farewell that you've heard before. And you could see in the heart and the passion that comes out in the epistles that, that, these, that some of these men write. Peter writing grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus. Paul writing these things. These are not your usual greetings because they have been changed by Jesus. And Jesus is, is giving that message to them right here and now. It's not as the world gives It's not peace of this world because peace of this world is simply just good luck. It's a lie. It's empty. The world doesn't have peace to give. It's an empty statement. Empty words. And it's mostly lies to bring false peace. How does the world accomplish peace? through treaties, agreements, things that are just thrown out the window a couple days later, maybe a couple months, maybe a hundred years. But that's how the world attempts to bring peace between nations, between governments, between people and government, and then eventually it's just empty because it's not of God peace that this world has to offer is, is empty. It's, it's entirely empty. <clears throat> but Jesus leaves his peace. This is the greatest inheritance that could be given. Jesus is saying, guys, look, I'm leaving you peace. Now, we know full well Jesus didn't have money, right? And he, didn't, he was not attached to the, uh, the worldly things like money, the physical, but the spiritual, And everything he's doing is trying to get them to understand and see the spiritual. And so now he's even saying, look, the inheritance that I'm going to leave you is peace. It's not money. Sorry, guys. You don't need that. But what you need is my peace. Not worldly peace, my peace. And then he says, let not your heart be troubled. Full circle back to verse 1 of John 14 we studied a couple weeks ago. He started out with that, let not your heart be troubled. They were troubled. They had troubling things going on in their lives. That's where this conversation started. They had reason to be troubled, and Jesus himself had every reason to be troubled, but Jesus had 
peace in the face of his coming suffering. Because his peace was different. And he leaves that peace with them and us, knowing full well how desperately we would need that peace. Do not be troubled. This really, what this brings us back in this full circle to is a, is a how to or how not to, uh, a guide on how not to be troubled. Starting with verse one, bringing it back to here, how do we not be troubled? Well, if we go back, he says, believe, you believe in God, believe also in me. Trust Jesus. In my Father's house are many mansions. Have the eternal perspective. Look up and look ahead, we talked about. Walk with Jesus. Walk by faith. Receive the Spirit and receive his peace. That's how we are not troubled. Then, what he's saying here is that if, uh, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Through this, through receiving my peace, you're going to overcome trouble and you're going to overcome fear. Because that's where trouble comes from. We are troubled in our hearts when we're afraid. There's a lot of things to be afraid of. There's a lot of uncertainty around us, and that brings the greatest fear. The unknown is what brings the greatest fear. But we can be certain in Jesus. We can trust in Jesus. We can walk with him. We can know that his promise of the Spirit is true and receive the Spirit. And through all of that, understand that he's going to teach us, he's going to guide us, he's going to remind us of who Jesus is and what he does and he's going to give us peace, not worldly peace, not world peace, <laughs> heavenly peace from above. Verse 28, you have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Rejoice! Rejoice! Now, first he says, peace. I'm giving you peace so you don't have to be troubled. Also rejoice. Don't be troubled, but rejoice. And you should rejoice over the fact that I'm going away. That's a, that's a hard statement, right? We, we, we've dealt with this maybe in your lives that you've seen this, a, a, dear, a loved one that you know that their death is coming. Somebody who's so close to you, and they say, don't sorrow for me, Right? Why? Because they're going to see Jesus. And that's hard for us. We are troubled at the loss of loved ones. We are troubled when we deal with death. But Jesus here is giving this perspective, even bringing it full circle back to John 11 when, when Lazarus was dead. And he wept not over his death, but over death itself. And over sin and over unbelief. Jesus knew that Lazarus was coming back. And he knew the sting of death over these loved ones. But now he's saying you should rejoice for me. Because I'm going to the Father. Jesus is going home. 
You should rejoice over something that would trouble you. You should rejoice to overcome trouble because Jesus is going home. And you should rejoice for the world. I am going to the Father for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. You may not see now, but when it happens, you're going to believe and you're going to understand. Rejoice, because the work of salvation will be finished. Rejoice for the greater work that is to come. And it comes through the resurrection. You'll believe when you see it. Verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so do I do. The ruler of this world is coming. Judas was plotting with the devil. The devil was on the move. Much more reason to be troubled here, but Jesus, again, bringing this into a spiritual realm, saying this isn't just about the physical, but the ruler of this world is coming. The devil is on the move, and he is attacking, and it's going to happen soon. And there's much reason to be troubled. Guys, we are living in a troubled time today where the ruler of this world seems like he's on the prowl, and he's getting more and more control. But what does Jesus say? He has nothing in me. And he's got nothing on me. There is nothing. Now you remember what we talked about a couple times when it came to Judas and the influence that the devil had in his life because he had given him a foothold. He had given him opportunity. Jesus is like, he's got no foothold on me. He has no opportunity. He has no influence over me. He might think he does. He might think that I'm, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to go to the cross, and it's going to be my death on the cross. And he's like, yay, not happening. He's got no power. He's got nothing in me. No influence at all. Satan was not going to have victory over Jesus through the cross. Rather, Jesus was surrendering to the will of the Father to finish the work of salvation. Not defeated, victorious. Demonstrating, what does it say here? To the world, his love. Demonstrating his love and his oneness with the Father. And then it closes, of course, with, arise, let us go from here. Interesting point. They don't go from there for another three chapters. He says, arise, let us go from here. And then it's not until chapter 18, verse 1, where it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples. So for the, these next, all these red letters we see, right, the next few chapters still, it's like in that departure from the upper room, not wanting to let go of this urgency that was going on, not wanting to let go of this moment with Jesus. 
Sometimes, right, I've got four kids. Like, guys, it's time to go. We're at a friend's house. Where did they go? They're gone. They're missing. Guys, it's time to go. Go grab this one, this one. Now, where are the other two? You stay right here. Now, go get this one. There was many disciples here, right? <laughs> Eleven disciples plus Jesus. Hey, arise. Let us be going. Yeah, okay, we'll get to that. And then they stand up, and the conversation continues. You stand at the door for a while, and you keep talking, and then you, know, you start to make your way out, and oh, yes, and this, oh, right, and this, too, and don't forget this. These things, I'm telling you, it's important before we go. There's an urgency. Don't forget. You can't let a good thing go is kind of the perspective, right? They wanted to stay in the upper room, understandably so. But of course, there's work to be done, and Jesus is telling them, look, there's, there's the next step that we have to go to in preparation for the cross. But here today, we see this great contrast between the followers of Jesus and the world. One, we will see Jesus again. The world will not. We keep his word through love and inherit eternal life. The world lacks love and doesn't keep his word, therefore will not inherit eternal life. And that's what we're talking about. We talk about the world. It's those who reject Jesus, who reject the truth, who don't have a relationship with him. Number three, we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises the helper. The world cannot will not receive the spirit of truth, as verse 17 tells us. We have peace from Jesus, heavenly peace, real peace, not worldly peace or world peace that doesn't actually exist. This world has no peace to offer. Number five, we have Jesus who gives. He says, not as the world gives do I give. And how does the world give? Out of selfish ambition. What's in it for me? Right? We do that sometimes. The world does it oftentimes. I will give based on what I get in return. But Jesus says, not as the world gives do I give. We get the sacrifice of Jesus, not the selfish ambition of the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we are amazed by you. These words of life that you give us continue to just blow us away. Lord, bring us into greater intimacy with you, greater trust in you as we study your word and we see how great you are and how great your words are. Let us live lives that are set apart. Not like the world, but like Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, as always, I want to give you an opportunity. I want to invite you to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, to give your life to him, to enter into a relationship with him that he would 
be your Lord. That you would live your life according to his word. That you would be one who keeps his word and walks with him. To inherit the gift of eternal life. So if you don't have a relationship, I invite you today. Would you make a commitment to him? And if you want to make a commitment to him today, I'm going to ask you simply to raise your hand. And if you put up your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And then we want to encourage you and help you get started in this walk with Jesus. But would you today make a commitment to him with your life to say, I want a relationship with Jesus Christ that I don't yet have, but I recognize I need it. Would you admit that today? If that's you, would you put up your hand? And I'll lead you in a prayer. I'd like to trust that we all have a relationship with Jesus in this room. But if you don't, don't let the day go by without committing your life to him. Don't fight him. It's not worth it. He loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. So would you today make a commitment to say, I'm a sinner and I believe in Jesus. Our heart today is to see the word come alive, the word of God come alive in our lives. So as we close in song, as we worship the Lord together, let these words that we study today be a challenge, an encouragement to us. We have the Holy Spirit. We have help. We need to be reminded of how great he is, and we need to recognize that as believers in Jesus Christ, we should not look like the world. We are set apart. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us to help us live lives that are set apart. So let's take that to heart today.